3: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of and audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and The
4: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates—
5: PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator, featuring stories and articles on current topics, equipment reviews, investigative tips, and practical advice for the professional investigator. Don't miss a single issue of PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Use this show's promotional code for your special discount at PIMagazine.com. Subscribe today. Use promo code Nancy for your special discount. That's promo code Nancy.
1: Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. Bombshell disgraced funny man Bill Cosby, once a TV and big screen star known around the world for his comedy acts, found guilty of sex assault, fires his entire legal team. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. Maybe this has something to do with it.
6: I can't breathe because of Bill Cosby. I can't breathe because I haven't slept in weeks. And, I, you know, I just, you know, I, you know, with everything that's going on, I haven't been able to breathe like the whole nation is doing right now, protesting. I am protesting because of the, the res- unresolved issues due to rape be- from Bill Cosby.
1: With me now, uh, veteran trial lawyer, L.A. defense lawyer, Troy Slayton, renowned New York psychologist, Karen Stark, forensics expert, professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, Joseph Scott Morgan, and with me, special guest from DailyMail.com, Sean Walsh. With testimony like that... I guess he did fire his whole legal team. But what I don't understand, Sean Walsh, before we get to him, you know, firing that whole squad, that fleet of lawyers, why is he out? He's been convicted of rape, of sex assault. Why is he slung up in his multimillion dollar brownstone mansion with his personal chef making him three meals a day plus snacks? Well, why, why is he there and not getting three hots and a cot behind bars,
7: Nancy? I've got to say to you that as we often say, there's one rule for the rich and there's one for everyone else. But uh, going down to hey, the Hey, wait a
1: minute! Wait a minute! Maybe in Australia. From whence you <laughs> hail. But that's not supposed oh, no. to be the rule I say, here. i got
7: Nancy, in Australia, he'd be in jail. Uh, here, he's been able to wait it out while he awaits sentencing. But that's why he's sitting at home living the life.
1: He's probably wearing the same old bathrobe and hat that he was wearing when he allegedly attacked all these women. You know, Troy Slayton, uh, L.A. defense lawyer, I want to follow up on something. Troy, please just try and tell the truth, okay? Okay. Now, I know your gut reaction, your natural instinct is going to be putting perfume on the pig. Don't do that. I want the truth. Isn't it true? This is a yes, no, Troy Slayton. You're on cross-examination. Isn't it true that almost always, if not always, when a man is convicted in court of rape or felony sex assault, Once the jury comes back with that conviction, Mr. Mann is then fingerprinted, handcuffed, and taken out of court and put on the transport bus. It's usually an old school bus with now bars or mesh over the windows and taken to jail.
5: Yes, that's usually what happens. But I disagree that Bill Cosby is getting any special treatment here.
1: Okay, those two things. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean Walsh, but doesn't Troy Slayton just sound like... He talked out of two sides of his mouth. If you see him, he apparently only has one mouth. But just then, it sounded like two different things. Yes, a convicted rapist always goes straight to jail upon conviction, but Bill Cosby is not getting special treatment. How can that be, Sean Walsh?
7: That's what I'd like to know, so
5: I'd really like to hear it, because it just appears like... Go ahead, Troy. Hit me. So, the judge here in Pennsylvania is following the law in that jurisdiction by allowing him to remain free on the bond that he has posted. He does not have a uh, a passport. He is not a flight risk. He The judge has determined that he's not a current danger to the community, and he has not yet been sentenced for his crime. So it wouldn't be fair to put him behind bars in jail when we don't even know if his sentence is going to include jail time in a jail facility he may get some sort of uh home confinement he may get something else we don't know that yet so uh, and also this case is inevitably going to have an appeal
1: he's convicted of drugging and molesting andrea Konstad. okay
5: so he may very well be allowed that is a to felony stay out pending appeal
1: as you just mentioned earlier, Troy Slayton, that almost never happens in all my years prosecuting. When I would secure a conviction from a jury, the person went to jail on any violent crime. I mean, Troy, just again, let me caution you. Please be honest. Have you ever defended a rape case where the person did not go to, immediately to jail?
5: Well, all of my cases, my clients are found not guilty, of course. But, uh, no, in all seriousness, um, in in my experience, uh, no, that has not happened.
1: That's that's what I'm saying. This is all just wrong. And Karen Stark, New York psychologist, what message does that send to all of his victims? How many are there?
8: 50, 60 alleged victims? It sends the same message, Nancy, that they've been sending all along, that the victims are to blame, not to take this seriously, and that... They are not going to get justice that
1: they deserve to have. Take a listen to what one of the jurors in Cosby's sex attack case had to say following the guilty verdict.
9: What was the evidence that made you sure, beyond a reasonable doubt, that he was guilty?
3: Um, I think it was his deposition, really. Ms. Cosby admitted to giving these quaaludes to women, young women, in order to have sex with them.
9: When Andrea was on the stand, did you believe her? Yes. What about those other five women who testified? Yeah. If you hadn't heard from the other five and you just had her word, would that have mattered to you?
3: I don't think so because in the deposition he stated that he gave these drugs to other women. I don't think it really necessarily mattered that these other five women were here because he said it himself, that he used these drugs for other women.
9: So you found it to be his words that were the most damning of all. Yeah. But when you entered the room for the first time, were you sure that he was guilty? No. So what then made the difference for you once you started deliberating?
3: Hearing everyone's comments about certain pieces of evidence and going through the different counts.
9: So you don't feel even now that it was an open and shut case?
3: No. Some have said that I made the right decision and some people have said that they still think that he's innocent. And I just tell them, if you were there, you would say the same thing. You would say that he's guilty.
9: Sitting here today, is there any doubt in your mind that you guys came to the right conclusion? No, I have no doubt at all.
1: You are hearing 22-year-old Harris Snyder, the youngest juror on the Cosby jury, being questioned by C. Guys, with the juror speaking so firmly in that manner, I don't see that there's any way that you're going to see jury misconduct or a juror jumping up now saying, oh, that really wasn't my decision. This is a firm conviction, which adds to my concern about Cosby still being uh, out and about and walking free. But in the last days, Cosby has fired his entire legal team, led by attorney, high-profile lawyer Tom Mezzaro, who also defended Michael Jackson. So what do we know about that Deshaun Walsh with DailyMail.com to fire his fleet of lawyers?
7: Why? I think, Nancy, he's building a new strategy post-sentencing uh, because, as we know, he's going to be uh, staying at home until he's sentenced. When we move to the sentencing thing, he's obviously going to be sent to jail. I mean, three felony counts of sexual assault. He's going to jail. But I think they'll then uh, put in an appeal to try and keep him out of jail longer, and then he will they'll fight that and see what they can do from there. Let's not forget, he's almost 81. Next month he turns 81. And so this is a man who maybe... Who is very much in his twilight years and will be doing everything he can to stay out from behind bars?
1: You know, uh, I'm not quite sure why you say, remember, he's 80. You know what? Lady Justice is wearing a blindfold, Sean Walsh, maybe not in Australia, but here she wears a blindfold so she does not differentiate between defendants or victims based on their race, their gender, their socioeconomic level, or their age. And let me also remind you that while she holds the skills of justice in one hand, Sean Walsh in our country, in her other hand, she carries a sword. I I know that. A sword of justice. And I can think of quite a few things that need to be cut off in this case.
7: He he spent many years holding the Quaaludes. Now he holds under someone's arm to say that he's legally blind. So he'll do anything he can to prevent himself getting behind bars. So don't be surprised if this is all just part of the strategy, using his age, everything, to make sure he does not go to jail.
1: Well, you keep bringing up his age. There's also the allegation that he is blind with me forensics expert joseph scott morgan professor forensics jacksonville state university joe scott wait a minute i just saw a clip of bill cosby coming down one of those extremely narrow portable stairwell staircases that they bring they roll up and secure at your private jet he was coming down that with no problem I mean, nobody was leading him down that. He only needs those aides helping him when he's going in and out of the courthouse.
10: Yeah, I've seen the same clip, Nancy. Uh, up and down, up and down. He clicks along pretty well when the cameras. He doesn't. He's not in perception that the cameras are, are in view. Uh, one, I tell you, the group of people I'm I'm really thinking about right now are all the victims, and also all of these investigators that have put in so many hours into the thing. Keep in mind, these people are not in the jet set uh, a lot of these investigators they they're investigating a criminal a, an egregious criminal offense here they've got a conviction and now i can only imagine Nancy they're sitting around they're watching this guy who is allegedly a dad uh, america's dad you know now he's sitting at home you mentioned the brownstone private private chef all these sorts of things sitting there and they're thinking oh my God, all these victims that we went out and tried to tell their story and do this thing, is he going to get special treatment and not be treated just like any other common criminal on the street would be treated? And I know they're wringing their hands right now.
1: Is there any way we can determine the truth regarding his alleged vision problems? Because you know what I love are those exposés when people are claiming they they have some... Physical impairment, then they're like in the backyard jumping on the trampoline with their kids and cutting the grass. I love that. But here you got Cosby walking down this stairwell unattended off of a, a, a temporary stairwell loaded up to his private jet. But boy, when you see him coming in the courthouse, he's got people at every elbow and kneecap helping him get in. I don't buy that for one minute. So, is there any medical test to determine that? And plus, if he is blind, he can still go to jail.
10: Yeah, I'm I'm curious if the court, if if this is what he's putting forward, and I think going forward, if he's going to have to have so-called special needs consideration, is the court going to say at this point in time, okay, you have to be checked out by? a board-certified ophthalmologist that's going to give us some kind of official rendering here relative to your ability to see or not see. I
1: would not trust Bill Cosby giving an honest eye exam. I mean, it's got to be something um, physical that they could look at because you know he's going to totally lie when they go, hey, can you read these letters? And he would write. Uh, he would say, let me see, I think it says h e l l N-O. I think that <laughs> is going to be the result of his eye exam. But yeah. guys, I can tell you this much. He could certainly
6: see during this episode. My name is Janice Baker-Kinney. I began living in Reno and working at Harris sometime around the summer of 1980. When the headliners were booked at Harris, I recall that they had the option of staying at the hotel in a penthouse suite or a home owned by Harris. I know Mr. Cosby chose to stay at the house because that is where I was sexually assaulted by him in May of 1982. I had been at that house a couple of times previous to that night, invited there for after show parties. I remember going to one party hosted by Wayne Newton and it wasn't out of the ordinary. So when a friend said that Bill Cosby invited her to the house for a pizza party, I didn't think it was strange, and I agreed to meet her there. I did, however, think it was strange when I arrived and my friend Judy was ringing the front door bell holding the pizza. When I joined her at the front door and Bill Cosby opened the door, it took me a few moments to realize that this was a pizza party for just three. I thought I would have a beer and maybe a slice of pizza and hang out for a little bit and then be on my way. These are the moments that I can remember. Bill Cosby offered me a pill, and I took one from him. He then told me to take two, that it would be fine. And I guess I thought, it must be okay. Bill Cosby said it was. So I began to play a game of backgammon with Mr. Cosby. We were in the kitchen or dining room area at that time. And I remember telling him, this game isn't fair. And he asked me why, and I said, because I can't see the board anymore and then I passed out. I woke up sometime later hearing voices and it was my friend Judy leaving. I was now in the living area on the couch with my jeans unzipped and my blouse was open. Bill Cosby came and sat down with me on the couch and asked me if I was feeling okay. He had me leaning against him on the couch while his arm was around me and it was then he put his hands inside my open blouse. I remember him then helping me up the stairs to a bedroom. I was in no condition to leave, to drive, to say anything. I was so humiliated that I had passed out and I didn't know what had happened. He had assured me that it was okay to take the pills, but obviously it was not. I woke up the next morning naked, in bed with a naked Bill Cosby. He was touching my belly and on my genital area. The phone rang and it seemed to be a business call, so I got dressed and went downstairs to leave. I was mortified at what had happened. He came down and met me at the front door, and as he opened the door for me, he stopped it part of the way before I could get out, and he said these exact words, this is between you and me. And he put his finger to his mouth like a shh sign. I told him I was not planning on alerting the media.
9: I want to thank the jury. Justice has been done. (laughs) And we're very, very happy and proud of this result. Beginning in late 2014, we be, the accusers of Mr. Cosby, whom I represented, began to speak out. It took a great deal of courage. In the beginning, many were not believed. We are so happy that finally we can say women are believed, and not only on hashtag MeToo, but in a court of
1: law? That is my friend and colleague Gloria Allred, who represented civilly many of Cosby's alleged victims. Well, they're not alleged anymore because the jury handed down a guilty verdict in the case of Andrea Konstat. Now, what about this? Karen, start with me, New York psychologist. Karen, there's now bitter finger-pointing. In the last hours, we learned more about Bill Cosby firing his entire fleet of defense attorneys This is what I see happening in the future. I remember when a rich white guy got bond in the Fulton County Courthouse, and I remember it so well because it was one of my cases, and I nearly did a backflip when this guy, whose wife's dead, and um, he is, when the fire trucks show up to his house and he's lounging Romanesque in the yard across the street, they talk to him five minutes before he goes, oh, yeah, my wife's in there. All right. And he gets a bond. Long story short, after that perp got a bond, every defendant came up and said, I want what he got. Why shouldn't I have what he got? He's out on bond on a murder charge. That's what's happening here. Every rapist in the country is going to say Cosby's out. He got convicted. I want an appeal bond. Why shouldn't I have an appeal bond? It's a domino effect. But right now we're in the bitter finger pointing stage, Karen, where he fires Mezzaro, his a, a renowned defense attorney. But look at this, Karen Stark. This is his MO. After his first trial, when he the lawyer managed to stymie the jury and got a mistrial on this, Cosby threw out that legal team. That team was led by a really well known Philly area lawyer, Brian McGonagall. And um He's a Philadelphia defense lawyer, and Cosby threw him out. Many people argued that if Cosby had had any brains at all, he would have kept McGonagall because McGonagall managed to get him a mistrial the first go-around, but my point is he threw out that legal team. Then he hires Mesereau. He gets convicted. Now it's time for the sentencing and the appeal bond. He's thrown out that legal team. What does that say to you, Karen Stark? It sounds like rats jumping off a, a, a drowning ship.
8: It says hubris, Nancy. He's not going to go down. This guy is going to try anything. It's, it's no different than blaming the victims. Now he's blaming the legal defense team. He's going to keep trying to find a way to get out of this conviction, to find a way to say that this was another um, mistrial, to, to defend himself, to look to get out of any kind of sentencing. And it really is a shame that he's allowed to be in his home, be sitting back and waiting for this to happen, especially with the
1: way that this legal team went after the victims. Right. So Sean Walsh with me uh, from DailyMail.com. Sean Walsh, uh, can we, again, let's focus on the American jurisprudence system and not the Australian, no offense, okay? Um, What's going to happen next as Cosby's kicked back probably in that same bathrobe that he used, that he was wearing when he assaulted a lot of these ladies, what, what What's going to happen next? or just, Do I just have to look forward to watching more clips of Cosby being led around by his aides as he goes in from one fancy restaurant to the next?
7: Nancy, I think you'll be seeing a lot more of that. But I think what will happen now is his team will focus on sentencing and then I imagine should he be given a custodial sentence which I can't see why they wouldn't the team will then work on ensuring he stays out of jail and lodging an appeal
1: how does that work Troy Slayton I think Sean Walsh is correct Troy Slayton joining me a high profile LA defense lawyer it's called an appeals bond how does that work Troy
5: well it's really up to the trial judge about whether or not to grant him the ability to have a bond to put up money to show that he'll come back uh, if he is, if the sentence is upheld on appeal. But I think you you said something interesting earlier when you said that this is a solid conviction. Uh, I think there are some very, very good uh, grounds for appeal here, uh, aside from potential ineffective assistance of counsel, there is the issue
1: that... Oh, wait, wait, wait. Are you actually saying Mesereau did not do a good job?
5: Well, I, look, <laughs> was a, is a good experience You're digging attorney, deep,
1: Troy. You're digging deep. But
5: let me, let me say that I think his best issues for appeal are the deal that he made with the original district attorney when he gave that deposition testimony in the civil case. He was given a promise by the government. The prosecutor said if you go and testify in that civil case, nothing that you say will be used against you in a criminal case. And a new DA came in and broke that deal. That is a huge...
1: Oh, okay, so you're not saying he didn't rape the women. He's saying the district attorney is the bad guy in this scenario because they reneged on a deal to keep his deposition secret. And in that deposition, Sean Waltz, What exactly did Bill Cosby admit to? Okay, look,
7: the deposition really was uh, a bombshell deposition. I think that's why they went ahead and they uh, charged him. Uh, He described the sexual encounter. He talked about uh, the Quaaludes. Um, He was very much a man who committed a crime but had used money to get away with it. And so that's why Andrea...
1: Wait a minute, Sean Walsh. You're kind of glossing over it. You said he admitted to the Quaaludes. What? What do you mean? He admitted to the quaaludes. He did what with the
7: quaaludes? Well, he provided them to Miss Constad. He
1: tricked women into taking quaaludes, which knocked them out. And and again, let's not put perfume on the pig. They would wake up half naked with sticky, gooey stuff between their legs and or on their body, with their clothes rearranged, half naked. That's what happened with the Quaaludes, Sean Walsh. Why do I have to say it that I asked you and you just gloss over it almost as if you're siding with Cosby?
7: Not at all. I'm just providing the facts without the emotion, Nancy. And on top of that, what was even more... I know how to
1: reach your (laughs) wife, Sean Walsh, and I will tell her that Uh, you're siding with Cosby. I have no problem with ratting you out, okay? There is no siding with
7: Mr. Cosby here, I can tell you that. And let me remind you, Nancy, DailyMail.com was the only news publication that was prepared to run with the allegations of his uh, sexual assaults before anybody else. In fact, three weeks it took after our first story, back when we told Barbara Bowman's story, did anyone else other than you, Nancy, follow up on what we were saying about Mr. Cosby?
1: I've been screaming about Cosby since the get-go and inviting his accusers on to tell their stories. I mean, on national TV... I don't know what took so long. But this is the first of, I believe, to be other criminal trials. Not only is he facing a criminal trial, he's facing civil problems as well. Right now, a federal's appeal court says an insurance company has to pick up Bill Cosby's tab to fight defamation lawsuits brought by women who accused him of sex misconduct. What does that mean? Troy Slayton, in a nutshell, He would come out in public and say all these women were big, fat liars, all right? And now they're suing him, claiming that he defamed them because they were not lying. So what does this mean in regular talk,
5: regular speak, Troy Slayton? It means that his, uh, likely his homeowner's insurance or his personal liability insurance that has a a defamation rider on it is going to have to pick up The defense. They have a duty to defend him, and he likely has uh, insurance against uh, a defamation lawsuit. So, uh, lucky for him, he's not going to have to put up the huge legal bills to defend those cases.
1: Could there be more criminal trials? Is that what it's going to take to finally get Bill Cosby behind bars? The juror is convinced of Cosby's guilt. Listen, I really didn't
3: know a lot. I knew he was an actor. I knew. He did The Cosby Show. I never watched The Cosby Show or anything. I'm a little too young for that.
9: What did you know about the allegations prior to becoming a juror in the case?
3: I didn't know anything. I don't watch the news ever. So I didn't even know what he was on trial for.
9: Are you well aware of the Me Too movement? Did that have any factor, would you say, in your decision?
3: No. I really only found out about it after I got home. Then I looked online to see what everything was. I didn't really even know about the Me Too movement.
1: To Sean Walsh with DailyMail.com. So this juror, the youngest one on the jury, 22-year-old Harris Snyder, really didn't understand who Cosby was. And that, I mean, now people don't just tune into the Cosby show at 8 o'clock on whatever night it was, Thursday night. Now people are getting their news and their entertainment on their iPads, on uh, demand. He didn't even really know who Cosby was. That's a big blow for Cosby because that may reflect less of the celebrity status in sentencing, but this judge is apparently still very impressed with him.
7: That's true, Nancy, and this juror was a young guy, and he probably didn't grow up watching the Cosby Show, and he made very, very clear in that interview that he didn't watch the news or have anything to do with news gathering. So I think that makes it very difficult for Mr. Cosby in any way to claim that the jury pool is tainted, because you've got people on there saying, A, I didn't know who he was, B, I don't watch the news, so they've just basically come to a decision based on facts. The
1: judge in this case, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania Court Judge Steve. T. O'Neill, ironically, has a wife who is very much involved in this sort of issue. To Sean Walsh with DailyMail.com, the judge overseeing Cosby's retrial said his wife's career as a social worker, specifically in sex assault cases, had no bearing on his decisions in the case. And he actually said that in an, a very emotional court hearing where his stature on the bench was called into issue. What do you make of the judge and why the judge has allowed him to walk free on this sex assault conviction.
7: I said it at the start of this interview, Nancy, and I'll say it again. I think there are two different rules in, in this country for people who have money and people who don't. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of fame. He's then able to post a very substantial bond, which has kept him out of jail. So I think the judge had to look at that and go, okay, well, he was able to post uh, the bond, so we'll we'll let him stay out. But also, in the, where he's being prosecuted, it is commonplace for... Uh, offenders to be able to go home until sentencing. So this is why we're in the position that we're in.
1: Long story short, I'm just wondering, as a legal maneuver, Troy Slayton, high-profile L.A. defense attorney, if the judge did not allow this appeal bond, for him to stay out on bond pending appeal, pending sentencing, because in the pretrial motions, Troy, if you remember, Bill Cosby's lawyers actually argued that the judge, Judge O'Neill, should throw his threw his own self off the case that he should be recused, that he should not hear the case, because O'Neill's wife position regarding sex assault and domestic assault. All right. He kept himself on the case and by allowing Cosby out right now as he awaits sentencing, could defuse that argument on appeal. He could say no. I was not swayed by my wife's anti-sex violence stance. As you can see, I let him be out on a bond. Let him stay out on his bond pending sentencing, so it could actually work in the prosecution's favor. Troy Slayton,
5: it could, but there are other things that Cosby's defense team will use against this a judge uh, that show bias, specifically his decision to allow even more prior bad acts to be uh, admitted as evidence in the current trial, in the most recent trial. Well, I think the
1: judge showed a lot of restraint because there are like 50 to 60 other women that claim he assaulted them sexually as well. And Sean Walsh, very little similar transaction evidence came in at trial. So I think the judge showed a lot of restraint. He could have let in dozens of other women testifying.
7: Absolutely, and as you know, there were many women that were prepared to testify, Nancy. Who
1: wanted to testify. Well, no one could disagree with the verdict more than Tom Mesereau. Listen.
2: We are, we are very disappointed by the verdict. We don't think Mr. Cosby's guilty of anything, and the fight is not over. Thank you.
1: Well, long story short, that was before he got fired off the case. That's Michael Jackson's defense lawyer, Tom Mesereau. But as you can see... Bill Cosby not going down without a fight. Did you know about a recent law that could leave your personal data exposed online for anybody to find? If you've turned on the news lately, you know the Internet has created a dangerous new world. Data breaches expose private information. There's a new cybersecurity threat every other day. And criminals can sell the identity of you and your family on the dark web. It's time you take the power back by using a new website called TruthFinder. TruthFinder allows you to find out exactly what information exists about you online. Have you gotten a speeding ticket, received a lien from the IRS, forgotten about an embarrassing social media profile? TruthFinder searches through millions of public records, puts all that data together in one easy to read report. Members get unlimited searches, so you can also look up those close to you and make sure they're not hiding something from their past. You also get free dark web monitoring to make Truthfinder the ultimate tool in identity protection. If your personal info appears for sale on the dark web, you'll be the first to know. Visit truthfinder.com slash nancy. Enter your own name. Get started. If you are a parent like me and my husband, David, you sink all your love, all your hopes, all your energy, all your money, your plans, your time into your children, and they literally become the loves of your life. You know, love comes in so many different ways. You've got that picture in perfume ads and in movies where the, the charming knight rides up on a white stallion, and it's your prince charming... <laughs> That is nothing compared to a mother's love. When that love is dashed by your child's murder, where do you go? What do you do? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. With me now, a warrior for justice, her name is Becky Drumright, and she is fighting for justice in the murder of her son, Tony. Becky, thank you so much for being with us. Becky, when you came home from work that day, August 25th, what happened?
11: I started looking for Tony because he was always in the house. He was always around. He, uh, we had four wheelers. He never got on the four wheeler. I looked for that first, and I started calling for him, and and I didn't. He didn't respond, and I, I kept looking for him, and my husband was upset, saying, "Just let him be. You treat him like a baby." Well, I wasn't gonna let him be. I was gonna find where he was, and I went to uh telephone. The phone was dead. I didn't get a. a I couldn't get out, so I went to um, all the phones, the last one being in the bathroom, and um, that phone was off the hook. There was glass shards all over the floor. I didn't know what had happened. I was thinking something electrical at first, but I, I called my husband's name, which it must have been in a concerning voice because he came running, and whenever he looked at the glass He starts clenching his fist, and he's hollering, oh, my God, as I'm dancing around him saying, what, what? Um, He knew that a bullet had come through our closet and knocked a picture off the wall. And so he went running out the back door. I went running out the front door calling for Tony. And then my husband called to me in a blood-curdling voice, called my name. I'll never forget that. And I went around the side of the house, and there's Tony laying on the ground by the air conditioning unit. And my husband hovered over him. And he told me to come and stay. by. Tony was alive. He told me to come and come here and stay with him. So I did. My husband went in and called 911. And then he came out and told me he's going to go down by the road because we were down in the woods, our house was. And he ran out uh, toward the end of the driveway. The, the um, A friend of mine that I had worked with at the hospital, he is a, a paramedic and he came pulling up in his personal truck. And then here comes my husband running down the driveway and wanting to know who he was. And I told him, I said, honey, that's Mike Bayless. I know him. I know him. He's a CMT. Anyhow, Mike started working on Tony, and Mike and Henry both told me to leave and go around to the front of the house. I went and sat on my front steps just in disbelief. What had happened? Because there was no apparent bullet. I mean, you couldn't tell what had happened. Tony had two or three drops of blood on his glasses and two or three drops of blood on his shin. Um. But he'd been shot in the back of the head and, you know, you couldn't see that. Then here comes the uh, ambulance and they worked on him. They took him to McKenzie Medical Center. And uh, I remember just standing and then I couldn't stand anymore. I just slid down the wall in the floor and just sat there, you know, just in disbelief. What's going on? Because they never said what had happened. Then a doctor came out and told me that it was a gunshot wound. And I said, where? Because I didn't get to see any of that at all. And he said, it, you know, it's in the back of his head. And he said, it could have been a suicide. I said,
1: what? Becky, I recall distinctly the moment when I realized my fiancé was dead. It's just crystallized in my mind forever, that exact moment. That moment when you realize Tony had passed away. Where were you at that moment? I was, um, a friend of ours took us to Memphis, drove us,
11: um, me, Henry, and my daughter. As I'm walking up the incline, up the sidewalk, Henry and Mark gathered around me and said, Henry said, Becky, he's gone. I said, gone where? He said, Becky, he's gone. And I said, where did they take him? And he said, Becky, he died. And I just, I went to the ground, and I took them to the ground with me. And my husband was whispering in my ears, Becky, please don't do this. Please don't do this. They got me up, and we walked to the emergency room, and they took us to a separate room. But that's whenever I found out that he had died.
1: Listen to Becky Drumwright as she sends a warning to her son's killer. My son,
4: Tony Drumwright, was
1: murdered 15 years ago.
4: I would like to say to the people that did this, they, are not, they have not gotten away with it. They've gotten away with it for a long time. They are coming after them. They will be caught. There will be justice for Tony.
1: Let me understand, Becky Drumwright, your son's murder was first classified a suicide, how can that be a shot directly to the back of the head? That's impossible.
11: Okay, let me let me say this because it's very important. Two years later, I visited the district attorney, which he's no longer in office. There's a new DA there now. But he read a report to me uh, about the sheriff and how he heard about this. In his report, and I took a friend with me. In his report, he said that the sheriff had gotten a call from McKenzie Hospital, not Memphis, that it was a homicide. Before the helicopter had even left to go to Memphis, I was furious. And I said, why didn't he cordon off the area and treat it like a crime scene right then? But he didn't. The next morning, they come out. Of course, we'd been up all night in Memphis and came home early in the morning. There were so many friends at the house to take care of us, and um, also out in our front yard was sheriff's det- um, uh, deputies, and they were unrolling crime scene tape, the yellow. Well, I looked, at my, I went hunting my husband down. I said, "What are they doing?" He said, "I thought you knew." No, I didn't. So I went out to him. I said, "What's going on?" Well, have you talked to the sheriff? No, I haven't talked to the sheriff. Where is he? He's in your backyard. I go back to the sheriff. He said I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is Tony didn't do this to himself and the bad news is somebody killed him. And and then you're putting up crime scene tape the day later, after everybody's cleaned up for us, you know.
1: There were blood spots. Well, let's talk let's talk about the actual scene because cleaning up that crime scene, Vincent Hill with me. Um Renowned private investigator and former Nashville police officer, Vincent, the reality is that this young boy, this teen boy is found dead with a gunshot wound to the back of the head. But there's evidence of a scuffle, a fight in the bathroom, and a bullet hole in the closet. The ruling of a suicide is contrary to all the evidence, and them cleaning the crime scene was a disaster. Why?
10: Yeah, that baffles me, Nancy. I don't know if these guys were equipped to even know what they were dealing with. Maybe they used the Occam's razor theory, you know?
1: But wait a minute. Listen, Vincent, Becky Drumright just said right then and there, a lot of people knew this was a murder at the time. I'm asking you the clear and concise question when you clean up a crime scene... You know what? I'll just answer it. You lose the forensic evidence. You lose you it. You lose the evidence, yep, lose and it. it's the cops cleaning it up under the theory that this was a suicide. Becky, would your son have ever committed suicide? That's what was so shocking to me because I couldn't figure it out. You know, no, I didn't
11: think he would commit suicide at all.
1: Now, the next hurdle the exhumation of her teen son's body. Listen.
2: We are pleased to announce that we have reopened the unsolved uh, case of Tony Drumwright's murder from 15 years ago today. Uh, we are very healing. to feel like we've got some viable leads to pursue. And as we speak, uh, Tony's body has been exhumed and is on its way to the TBI crime lab in Nashville. I'm mean, sorry, in Memphis, to the TBI office in Memphis where it will be examined by the brightest minds at TBI run through the latest DNA testing and have a full autopsy performed on it in an effort to uncover additional evidence that will allow us to resolve this crime.
1: To Becky Drumright, this teen boy, Tony Drumright's mom, who has never given up. How many years did you try and get Tony's murder reopened?
11: Uh, ever since day one. They did not do a proper investigation. You know, there were people who saw who was on the property at that time. But no, uh, it was disqualified by the law enforcement, and he was cleared. And um, I just I don't know. I, there is so much to this story. I mean, it's so hard to go into at one time.
1: To Dennis Farrier, special projects reporter at Fox Seventeen. Dennis, do police have any persons of
7: interest?
10: Matt Stowe, that's the new district attorney. Absolutely, I'm, he has persons of Matt Stowe, kind of out of town. Harvard Law School clerk for Judge Rehnquist, brilliant guy, aggressive prosecutor, immediately starts reopening cases. I think Becky's right in saying, you know, there's nothing like a bad start to a case. So even if you have suspects, you know, where's the evidence? Where's the corroboration? You know, the exhumation was not successful for obvious reasons, 15 years. I think he's definitely got suspects. He might even know who did it, but proving it beyond a reasonable doubt is probably out of the question or we'd already have an arrest. I don't
1: know that anything is out of the question, especially in light of new DNA techniques. Specifically, the murder weapon, the 38 caliber weapon was found on the scene. Very few perpetrators think to wear gloves to load the bullets into a gun. Very often fingerprints or partial prints can be found on those bullets. Not only that, when you touch DNA, or there are so many alternatives. If he's really reopened the case, what may happen now? Take a listen to Becky reacting to the exhumation of her son's body.
4: I am so comforted knowing that it's reopened and it's being investigated. I can't explain. It's just, it's bittersweet, but there's no way that I can explain how elated I am that somebody finally is listening. Somebody came to our home and put a bullet in the back of my son's head and executed him and murdered him. I don't want this to happen to anybody else's child. It's not about me. It's about our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our friends, our family, our loved
1: ones. People shouldn't get by with murder.
4: And thank God they're not going to anymore. They're not going to.
1: Because of one mother's determination and courage, her son's murder case has been reopened. Her teen boy found shot in the backyard the newly elected district attorney, Matt Stowe, weighs in. Listen.
2: ...longer be in love. Folks that were scared of someone, that person may have died or been put in prison. A lot of folks that could not talk 15 years ago may be able to talk today and may want to talk today. And we want to talk uh, because if folks will come to us with information, we'll follow up on it. And it's going to make any case we prosecute easier. You can do a case with forensics alone, but uh, it's going to be easier if we have some folks that will help us along the way. And the community's got a stake in this, so I hope that they will rise to the occasion. Uh, I can tell you that there have been some concerns over the condition uh, of the uh, uh, casket and the remains, uh, given the amount of time that had passed by. uh, The casket has not been opened yet. Uh, but now it does appear to be intact and in good condition, uh, so we have every reason to be optimistic that we're going to be able to pull DNA and anything else that we need uh, out of that uh, out of that casket.
1: Tony Drumright, teen boy, is described as a sweet boy, a homebody, loved being at home. He is found dying in the backyard from a gunshot wound. His mother has not rested since her son passed away. Becky, do you believe you know who Tony's killer is?
11: Yes, ma'am, I do. And let me tell you this, please. There were witnesses who saw who was on our property that day. The TBI investigation of that is just incredible. They have never even questioned those witnesses. So I don't think there's a proper
1: investigation. That's the first thing they should have done. To Vincent Hill, private investigator and former Nashville PD, Vincent, do you believe that with some time having passed, that witnesses may be more likely to speak now?
2: Absolutely, Nancy,
10: because that fear of retaliation may have gone away or that person that they were scared of may have passed or or something that uh, would allow them to speak now versus 15 years ago.
1: Everyone, please help us solve the mystery surrounding the death of this beautiful teen boy, Tony Drumright. The tip line 731 986 5031. Or find his mom, Becky Drumright, online. Becky, stay strong, friend. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Did you know a recent law can leave your personal data exposed online for anybody to find? If you've turned on the news lately, you know the Internet has created a dangerous new world. It's time you take back the power by using a new website called Truthfinder. Have you been issued a speeding ticket? Received a lien from the IRS? Did you forget about an embarrassing social media profile? That info may already be online. Truthfinder can help you find it truthfinder searches millions of public records assembling the data together in one report members get unlimited searches so you can also look up those close to you and make sure they're not hiding something visit truthfinder.com nancy enter your own name
0: get started